Thank you for joining us today for a new edition of the Pennsylvania Library Association's PA LaunchPod, the podcast that focuses on Pennsylvania libraries and the people who make them special. Every day in Pennsylvania, a librarian impacts the life of a child, family, student, job seeker, grandparent, or the guy next door. This is your opportunity to hear what is happening at a library somewhere in Pennsylvania, maybe even in your hometown. Hello and welcome. This is Natalie Kulik, one of your hosts for PA LaunchPod. Today we are talking with Liz Fitzgerald, who is the administrator of the Free Library of Philadelphia's Culinary Literacy Center. Liz was named a mover and shaker by Library Journal in 2016, and this is where I originally learned about her. Um, I had never heard of a culinary literacy specialist, and then I decided to reach out and have her here on our show, and thank you for joining us today, Liz. Thank you for having me, Nick. So can you just tell us a little bit, talk us through um, about what a culinary literacy center is? Sure. So we, um, the Culinary Literacy Center is here at the Free Library of Philadelphia at our Parkway Central Library. And we opened in June of 2014. And as far as I know, we are the first space of its kind in a library in the country. Um, so we really get the pleasure of being able to define what a culinary literacy center is. Uh, and before we did that, we had to figure out what culinary literacy is. And uh, we define culinary literacy as learning through cooking and food and learning about cooking and food. And so that's basically what we do in our space. Um, and the space itself is a commercial grade kitchen classroom where we have seen to date um, probably about 17,000 people since we first opened. Wow. And you said it opened in 2014? Yes, we're coming up on three years. Um, and and so the to give you a little bit more of an idea of what this space looks like, because I think that's helpful, um, we have a, a giant prep table at the front where our presenters, our food educators, chefs uh, come in and they teach classes. And we have seats for 36 at nine stainless steel work tables. And we have basically everything you need would need in a kitchen in a, in a restaurant. And we also have three cameras that are in the kitchen that all uh, feed into a giant flat screen TV in the corner so that everyone in the space can see what is being done at the prep table. So that's wow. our space. And, and we've been living in it and, and figuring out what culinary literacy is as we've been moving along. But this is... Um, this project really was this department. This, this was the brainchild of our president and director, Siobhan Reardon. And we are renovating our Parkway Central Library and have been for the past few years. And as a part of that, phase two was the fourth floor, the, the top floor of our library here. And as a part of that, there was an opportunity to, to put in a kitchen that our caterers could use. We do a lot of events on the in the building, um, weddings, corporate events, author dinners. So Siobhan wanted to put in a space that the caterers could use, but not only that, there was an opportunity to put in the space, more importantly, that our, our, patron, our patrons, our community could use. And it was a, a new way where we could advance literacy through cooking. So these demonstration kitchen, this demonstration kitchen, um who designed it? 
So our all of our renovations have been done by Moshe Softy, the architect. Um, and we had a, a kitchen design company come in to work specifically on our space. And I cannot think of their name right now. Um, so we, we did, but we brought in professionals. I actually wasn't involved in the the design part of it. I mm -hmm. sort of moved in after the space was built. And, um, you know, living through that, there are a few things that um, that I wish I had been at the table for. You know, it's always that way. You, you build out a space and you live in it for a while and then you figure out what you need more of. But it really was very little things, um, you know, some more storage space. And we ended up putting mm -hmm. a whiteboard in on one of the walls. Um, so, but it, it is beautiful and it's really allowed us to, um, to, to reach so many people through the work that we do there. Now on a program aspect for it, what kind, are, what kind of programs are you doing at the Literacy Center? So the programs, um, we sort of, when, when I talk about the programs, I like to split them up into two different buckets. One is the programming that is developed for people who, um, for, that's open to the public. And that includes classes in the evenings. So we do everything from, you know, butchery demonstrations to uh, knife skills. And we do classes for families. We um, have programs on how to make a soup or a stew. We have a, a really wonderful program called the Taste of African Heritage. That is a six-week course on um, food from the African diaspora. So we have a, a really vibrant public programming schedule. But then we also have our programs that are geared towards closed groups. So we have programs that are um, for specific populations. So we have a school visit program that we uh, invite classes into. It's called Nourishing Literacy. We actually have a kindergarten class here today. Um, and, and so we also have a program that is for English language learners. It's our ESL program called Edible Alphabet. And we have been inviting uh, students who are, are new to Philadelphia into the space to learn English through the context of food and cooking. We also have programs for uh, adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities called Cooking with Confidence. We have a series that's for uh, adults and um, teenagers with low to no vision. And that one's called Cookability. We have a program for veterans that is um, explores vegetarian cooking through uh, culinary therapy, um, and that's called Chow Down on Wellness. So we we have a, a number of programs where we really uh, try and identify um, particular groups of people that can benefit from the services that we are able to provide. So so those are the kinds of things that we're doing. Now, are these your ideas, or is it a team of of staff like? Um, how many staff members do you have working at the Culinary Literacy Center? So we started with one. That was me. Um, okay. And then I, it quickly became apparent that we needed to build the team. And over the past three years, um, I have built that up. And we now have, um, we have three librarians who are on staff full-time. We have one library assistant. And then we have uh, one part-time library assistant. And then we have a high school culinary student who we brought on as a kitchen manager. So we have a whole squad up there. And as, as far as, you know, whose ideas are the 
the programs. It really depends. It's we work in a, a very collaborative environment, and so mm-hmm. um, you know, when when somebody comes up with an idea, I generally give the go ahead and explore, and let's let's figure out how we can make these wacky ideas happen. And it's great. It's you know that this has sort of been the mo um, since there is no real model for what we're doing. We do get to make it up as we go along. And I have really encouraged a, a sense of fun and exploration and, and what that can mean in the library setting. And with every person who is on the team, you know, we really bring our own um, experiences and ideas to the program. It's interesting to note that all three librarians who are on staff, we all are former children's librarians. Um, And so I think there's like a special breed of hustle that children's librarians bring to the game. Um, And yeah, so it's, it's really just, if you can dream it up, then let's see if we can make it happen. Yeah, that's a great attitude and a great vision. Um, I read um, an Edible Philly, uh, an article that uh, you were interviewed in, uh, the writer was Joy Manning, and um, yeah. I, it it touched, your story um, made me laugh because I have experience um, collaborating, organizing a culinary book club uh, when I was working in a public library, um, and you had said that what was nice is you didn't have to pack up hot plates and a tote, uh, cutting boards and knives um, that you'd bring from home, and it, it kind of made me chuckle because I have done that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so what I liked about it was, you know, you can still do this. Um, but what are, what are some support and resources that you would recommend for people that don't have a, uh, you know, a demonstration kitchen in their library? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, we're actually now, um, over the past year, we've been bringing the program out into the neighborhood libraries because it is, it's one thing to say, you know, we have this million dollar kitchen and you too can do culinary literacy programming if you have a million dollars lying around. But that's not really, um, that's not the answer to your question. <laughs> so, so how can people do it on a more limited budget? Well, we are doing it in two ways. And so what we're doing is we have um, a kitchen in a box that we build out everything you need to do a culinary literacy program in your neighborhood library that goes into a giant tote. Um, And so that's one way that we have done it here. And you can also, we're also looking into now getting a a kitchen cart. So it's a a cart that has an induction oven on top of it. And it really is just a, um, like a smart cart with an an oven, uh, not an oven, but a stove top on top of it. And people have been doing this kind of programming, nutrition education, cooking demonstrations uh, in other capacities for years. And so for us, it was really figuring out, uh, as we started thinking about bringing it out, we wanted to look to the people who have been doing this so as not to reinvent the wheel. And our local uh, um, Penn State extensions, they've been doing this. So we, we looked to them, how have you done this? The Food Trust, which is here, in Philadelphia. They do this all the time. So really, I would encourage anyone who wants to pursue this to see who's already doing food and cooking programming in their communities 
and to to talk to them. You know, oftentimes people who do this, they need a space and they need an audience. And so that's what we have as public libraries. We have a space and we have an audience. And, um, and, and so I would just encourage people to find out who's doing the work already and then work to bring them in. One thing I saw um, from your website was a, a training of trainers, and it looks like it's going on currently. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we just wrapped up that training this past okay. weekend. It was called Just Food, and they're the organization out of New York that came down to do the training. And and we invited uh, potential community food educators from around the region to apply to come to the training. And we got a really great uh, turnout and response from people. And so we were able to invite 20 people in to take part of this with this four-day training. And our hope, the reason why we are offering this is um, that we, as we are expanding our programming and as we do build up and out, we need people who can teach. And so we are hoping to, uh, one of the reasons we, we wanted to build a small army of food educators who have a, a, a standard of training that we feel is a, is a good model and a good uh, jumping off point for them to, to represent us eventually in, in, the, in the libraries. And it also is, you know, we've been, one of the things that we've sort of struggled to figure out how to support has been entrepreneurs and people who want to uh, build a, a business around food. You know, we, we had a, a lot of people who came in in the beginning and wanted to use our kitchen space as an incubator to, to use it to make dozens of jars of their Aunt Sue's best-selling jam, you know, like uh, people who want to build up their, their food business. Um, but that's not what we're zoned for. We, we actually can't have people in to do that. So then how do we provide a space to support people who are trying to, to grow a business? And this has been a way for us. So we hope that the people who took part in the program can then not only fill out uh, an application and, and reach out to us to provide a program, but that can also reach out to the other organizations in the city who, who hire food educators to, to work for them or even strike out on their own. You talked about um, one of your programs being Edible Alphabet and uh, linking literacy skills and food. You know, you're, you're teaching English language. What happens when you are doing food and language together? Sure. So, so that class, we recruited a uh, curriculum designer who has extensive experience in teaching ESL to help us build that. One of the things that has uh, been most helpful for us is to really know what we don't know you know as as librarians we're in a public setting we're not often creating curriculum it's it's a new thing for us and so we wanted to reach out to people who had experience in doing that um, to help us build it and so we we worked with this team to build the curriculum around cooking and it was based off of what we had been doing um, in the program 
already. So the, the Edible Alphabet program works with two instructors. And so we have a, a chef and we have an ESL instructor. And how it works is it's a six-week course and each week is built around one recipe. And so the students who we're seeing, since March of 2015, we've been seeing students through Nationality Service Center, which is a provider of services to uh, refugees and newly arrived immigrants in Philadelphia. So the students that we've been seeing have been, um, have been primarily refugees. So they come with a wide variety of a wide range of English language skills so some people come in and they speak no English at all and don't even know how to read our characters and some people come in and they're fluent in English so so with that in mind it's really hard to to differentiate how we're teaching the English um, but what we do is we build each lesson around a recipe and we're identifying uh, ingredients and having people name the ingredients. We are talking about food groups and building vocabulary around food groups, around tools, kitchen tools and implements. And then what we do is we play a number of different games as a part of the class. So we have a, a market set up in the class where we use our manipulatives like the play food where we have the students come by and they have to ask for ingredients that are on their shopping list. Um, so we're really encouraging conversation and in an informal learning space. And then the students, we all break up into groups and we make a meal together. And so because our students have such a wide range of English language skills, what we're finding is that they're really making gains through conversational English, through practicing speaking, to native English speakers and practicing speaking to one another in English, but also what they're gaining is this real sense of confidence. And it gives the students a chance to shine in a space, in an environment where they're not used to shining. Our students really know how to cook. That's not the problem. Um, that's not the issue that they are facing. And it's nice to give them the space where they can show off their skills that they have and and learn English and practice speaking in English along the way. I mean, and the connection that you make around a table and the learning that you must witness is pretty amazing. It is. It really is. And, you know, we've um, this program has been really transformative for me personally and professionally. And one of the things that we've done is we've incorporated um, volunteers, native English speakers into the class to help foster that, the, the conversation, the informal learning that happens around the table. And anyone who has participated has also said that it's been really transformative for them. I mean, it, we see students who come in on the first day and they're very closed off. Some of our students have been in America for like two weeks. And now here wow. we are in the library, in our main branch, uh, getting library cards, learning about the services that we have to offer, and feeling a real sense of ownership over the building, over the space. And that's really a Well, you've made empowering. them almost feel, and also safe, yes. that feeling of safety again and home. Um, yes. 
and some of the places where the students are coming from, the concept of a library, of a, a place where you can get books for free, get information, have access to computers, have, get get all of our resources for free, that doesn't exist. Um, and it, one of the other things that I always think about is that some people are, a lot of the students that we're seeing are political refugees. And so to come into this space, our, our building is beautiful, but it's also slightly imposing. I mean, it's this huge city building. And so to take some of that away, to strip it down, to to show them that this is a, a library that is theirs, um, that they belong in, has been really important for us. What are some of the hurdles that have come at you, whether it be funding or personally with doing this? Sure. So I think one of the, the biggest struggles we have is around saying yes. Um, there are so many things that come to us, so many people who reach out who want to do work with us that are really noble and worthy causes. We have so many great ideas of things that we can do uh, that that I think that sometimes we get bogged down. We we make too much work for ourselves. Um, and it's this work for, for every one of us who, who's on the team, it really falls at the intersection of personal and professional interest and, and passion. And so we sometimes have a, a hard time with saying no. And that means that we are, are putting out a lot and, and giving of ourselves a lot. Um, so I, it, it's really trying to figure out that balance so that we're, um, we're doing really great work, but well, and you want to make sure that you're also doing great programs too. That it's, yes, you know. and I, I think that we are. I think that the thing that suffers is like it. It is really just that we we push a lot, um, and so trying to find that that work life balance becomes. So, tricky. do you get grants for these programs, or yeah. so so yes, so our funding comes from. A number of different sources. One of the really wonderful things uh, is that we have a built-in funding structure through our um, through earned revenue, and so we do see um, a portion of the the revenue that comes in for our uh, rentals comes back to support the program. Okay. Yeah. And so so that was built in to help us support the program. And our, all of the positions are city funded, so we don't have to worry about raising costs to support the, the staff. On top of that, we do have a number of grants that support our work. And, um, and we have a, a whole development team that works on finding grants for us and um, helping identify potential sources. We reach out to corporate sponsors, and we also um, reach out to private donors. So we've been really fortunate with in terms of our funding right now. Um, but I do know that, you know, this is kind of a hot topic at the moment, food and food access and, um, and just the whole concept of, of dining and cuisine and culinary mm -hmm. things has been really um, topical. And I'm 
try to be cognizant of the fact that this is not always going to be like the hip new thing <laughs> and to to be thinking years out in terms of how we can sustain what we built. Now, back to that kitchen box tote. Is yeah. there a company that you went through um, that you could recommend to our listeners or where to look for something for supplies to do sure. something like this? You know, we um, we got a lot of stuff on Amazon. We bought things from um, online restaurant suppliers. We have gone to uh, um, brick and mortar restaurant supply stores here in town. Mm-hmm. I am more than happy to share our list of what's what's going into these with anybody who wants to know. Um, I can I can share that with you if you want to. We have um, a blog that we do. Uh, palibraries.org. Uh, people can reach out to kitchen at freelibrary.org. Okay, that'll be perfect. And um, yeah, everything that we're doing, we really want to share. I'm very open. We are all want to see culinary literacy expand and and not just. Um, well, you want to share it. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> so um, let's. And anything that we've learned, I want to share the lessons learned with people. So um, that was Kitchen Library. Where where was that again? Kitchen at freelibrary.org. Now, totally random. Um, yeah. So I figured in closing and getting ready, um, well, is there anything else besides, before I ask my final question, or um, is there anything that you want to share that that you wish that I asked you um, in this in this session, just going over your culinary literacy specialist? And I mean, I think I I would just love to share that you know there's this is not so different what we're doing from what people are doing in public libraries in already in that what what we've found that's made our program so successful is just really identifying needs in our community and and trying to figure out the best way that the library is positioned to answer them and to provide information. Um, we try and remember all the time that, um, you know, we're not a cooking school. We are a kitchen classroom in a library. And there's so much of an opportunity for partnering with our, our departments to, to bring people from the, the kitchen into our subject departments, point people to our resources that we have. And um, so it, it's just really important to us that we, that we remember where we are and, and are, continue to um, try and support the mission of the free library through our work. Well, I think that our listeners are going to enjoy hearing about your programming and um, hopefully this will give them some ideas to, you know, take it on on the road in their own library. So what is one book that you have most, that, that you've gifted the most to people? Is there a book that you've been always known to go as your give book or recommendation? Man, <laughs> what a great question. Um, so I have a four-year-old. <laughs> and so most of my gifting these days has been to um, people under the age of five. So I'm going <laughs> to answer in two parts. 
So my um, one of my most gifted books has been Press Here, which I think is yes a total classic. Mm-hmm. And so that's my kid answer. My grown-up answer for books, um, I love, love Marcella Hazan. Uh, she is to Italian cuisine what Julia Child was to French cuisine. Oh, that's great. And, um, but she doesn't, uh, obviously, I mean, nobody's really as famous as Julia. But Marcella has, because um, we're on a first name basis, uh, Marcella <laughs> Hazan's book, uh, and the Classics of Italian Cooking, is one of my favorite cookbooks. And I give that to um, to just about anybody um, who is interested in cooking. And I really, I love what she does. She's like a, a grandma who's sort of chiding you along the way of making sure that you're doing everything right. But her recipes are so accessible and delicious. And um, Well, one, one recipe I, I saw that you talked about in that article that I that was an edible Philly and it was again, her, um, yeah. and it was the lentil soup yes. recipe. And I currently have that printed out. Um, and it's on my counter to make this week. So oh, I just had it for dinner last night. Um, oh. it's great. And I'm trying to make my way through the book. I just like to sit and read it sometimes, um, to, to dream up meals. Do you enjoy reading cookbooks? I do. Uh, um, I, and I just got the um, the Jerusalem cookbook also, which is beautiful. Sometimes I just love to read them. I don't really have time these days to to cook as much as I want, but the reading of them is um, still brings me great joy. I love reading cookbooks. Now, when you're reading recipes, are you in your mind finding ways to alter them, or are are you a rule follower? Do you follow the recipe? guidelines consistently? Um, I mostly stick to it, but I know enough that once I've done it, I can riff on it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, a, I don't like baking because it is too exact. And if you miss one ingredient, then the whole, your whole muffin will be collapsed. Well, um, that's, yeah, I'm not, a, that's probably why I'm not baking. Um, yes. But I do also enjoy reading cookbooks and, uh, I'll find myself reading them and I'll make, I make myself follow the recipe the first time, but then I will cook it again in the ways I think that I might make it better. So totally. Well, I could talk to you all day. Um, and uh, thank you for your, for, um, joining us today on PA launch pod. And we enjoyed having you. Natalie, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a pleasure. Well, best to you. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening. You can find our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. For more information about this episode and how you can be featured on this podcast, visit palibraries.org forward slash group forward slash PA launchpod. And are you a member of Pennsylvania Library Association? If not, now is the time to join. The association has offered... For a limited time, first-time members can join for half off their personal membership rate from now until June 15th. Remember, 
membership matters.